Harvey V, and welcome to the Clever Hybrids Podcast. Every season, we interview 12 bilingual professionals from around the world to hear their tips and to help you thrive in this multidimensional world. Let's jump right into the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Clever Hybrids Podcast. Today, we have the other half of another power couple based in the United States. Today, we're talking to Temis Coran Castellanos, who is a Colombian living in the U.S., and she's a sustainability consultant. A big issue right now, especially with that last notice we had, the cold bread for humanity. Let's jump right into this, Temis. What can regular people do to have a more sustainable lifestyle? Hi, Gary. Thanks for having me here and thanks for that question. I think that the last IPCC report was like caring news for everyone, but it's also a call for hope. We still have some time. We still have some opportunity to improve the things we are doing and change our relationship with the environment. So I think the first thing is that change your relationship with the environment. We know that there are big problems that you cannot solve from your house, but every drop of water make an ocean. So you, you can contribute with little things here and there. You can contribute educating your kids, educating your family about the importance of climate change. It can help. There is this cool thing called Project Drawdown that tells different topics that you can tackle to help you and also be more conscious about your choices. So choose local problems that are socially responsible that are working communities instead of exploding certain areas of the world. Thing that we can do here and there. And I really invite you to take a look at this project that this person has a cool list of tasks that you can tackle from your house and that can improve our relationship with the environment. Okay, doesn't put that in the show notes later. That means that a lot of people have said in the news, yeah, eat less meat. But how does that help the environment? Meat per se, not bad. If you have a bunch of spinach and a piece of meat, it doesn't mean that one is fairer than the other one. In certain regions of the world, there's an overexploitation of resources to produce meat. So mm-hmm. certain areas that were used for forests and there was like a, a storage of carbon had been cleaned to put cattle. The process that we are following to produce meat is endangering the environment. And it doesn't apply only to me. It also applied, for example, to non-responsible sources of wood. In the Amazon, they pretty much are cutting everything to produce wood and for other type of agricultural products. So right now in other parts of the, of the world, there are big challenges about palm oil or soy. Because at the same time that you are increasing your consumption of certain products, you will need to have more area to produce them. And what happens is that many, in many regions, they don't do that sustainable. They pretty much clean the land or the plants that they have there to grow new things. And it's that process, that intensive process, what damages the environment. Now, some people might argue, well, it's more plants, so isn't that a good thing? But it's also about biodiversity, right? What does that mean? Yeah, exactly. So this amazing world, well, it's flying in a way that 
not only the plants, but the animals, all the little components of that environment were working together to make things happen in the right way. When you start changing that environment, and it happens in our gardens, if you have a map jar and you just cut everything that was there to put a nice plant that you sow in chalk, you are changing the environment. And maybe you are cutting the food source of, I don't know, like a bird or a new species. And that is happening with bees when you start cleaning the areas and putting grass so the bees doesn't have source of food. Or you start changing that to building houses and big apartments. You are changing the environment and the animals doesn't have a place to stay. And at the same time, the new plants that you are bringing, let's put it in Latin America. If you take down a coconut tree to plant palm oil, the relationship of this plant with the soil is going to change that balance that the nature has. So everything that you change in your environment is going to have a good impact. And it's good to keep in mind. Now, with your job, Themis, you, of course, have a lot of knowledge about the environment. But how do you help companies as a consultant? What do you actually do on a day-to-day basis? This is really cool with my husband. We start from chemical engineering and we move our path toward helping the environment. And you can choose different paths to do that. My husband chose academia, so other people could choose social work, NGOs, and I choose working with the industry, working in corporate sustainability. My reason behind that was Companies are a big culture of the issues that we have right now in climate change. But at the same time, are the ones that have the resources, time, and money, and people to make things happen. So if you can work with those companies and help them to achieve full sustainability, when we talk about sustainability, we have three different highlights on sustainability. One is the relationship with the environment. The other one is the relationship with the society, with your communities, but the other one, your financial capability. So how can you work with the companies to get a revenue, but at the same time, you're responsible with the environment and responsible with the society. Our work with the companies is that understanding what are the problems, understanding what are their impacts and setting a roadmap and helping them to mitigate and to avoid more impacts. So one example, we have a company that makes its product a cleaner for your house. You can come and help them to understand how their processes, how their materials are impacting the world and how to reduce that impact. Okay. You've mentioned insulation before. There's been a lot of companies, they paint their roofs white or they put like a moss on top to keep the heating costs down. What are some other ways that they can create a more circular economy? When you think about the companies and their relationship with the environment, you can think around emissions and not only air emissions with about emissions, but you are also consuming energy. You are also using raw material that is an input for your processes. And also you are working with their society around them, like with the communities around them. So there are different ways that companies can help. One is having a more efficient use of their resources. What can we do with the things that we are inputting in our company? 
producing less waste, producing less discharge to the water, and at the end, less emissions too. How can we consume less energy? What thing is that efficient? Doing more with less. Then, doing more with better materials. How can we change the things that I'm using right now for materials that are like better for the environment? So, changing chemical for the other one. Easy example, a long time ago, we have a big issue with the refrigerants. They were emitting certain components that damage the environment. So, how can I change something that I have in my equipment or something that doesn't contaminate that much? That's another option that we have. Then, how can I change my processes and how can I change my products? So, the material that I'm using is still long in the environment. So, instead of having some problem that we just purchased and take to the waste at the end, how can I set new types of business that help you to repair the products that you're using to extend their lives so I can use it more and avoid more waste going to the world. And how can I design products that if I cannot make it last longer, that you can easily disassemble so the materials can go to recycling facilities to be reused for something new. And it's true. I hate it when I have something and you're like, oh, it doesn't work anymore, but I can't with something. It's funny because when I was little, I think that the grandmas have this really clear in their mind that if something was broken, they would need to repair it. Instead, like, now for us, if I have something, a glass of water, just put it in the trash and get a new one. But we switched the way that we are thinking about it. So instead of just taking it through the trash, what can I do with that? Yeah, this is something that is a big problem with electronics right now. Because there are so many pieces that are not usable. Of course, there are some things you can replace, like the screen, the pen, maybe a few other components. But a lot of the circuit board stuff is one and done. And it's very precious metals that are hard to replace. There are a lot of companies, especially in Asia and even in Africa, they take those products. They know that they can assemble and they know that they can recover the materials to use the new electronics. Or for example, like a screen, they can repair them so they can use for schools. So why can we not see the same value here? There's a saying in English that one person's trash is another person's treasure. It's definitely that something that we all need to keep working on. But companies like this create opportunities for people working in those communities and a lot of people would call that empowerment but what would you say empowerment is things how would you define it i think that empowerment has for me has two different components one is giving the tools to someone to achieve their dreams like the skill that they need but empowerment is to make you believe that you can achieve those dreams. For me as Latina being here, pretty much I came here to the United States because I wanted to work in sustainability, but I was lacking some skills to being successful in my job. But if I didn't trust that I was able to succeed on that process, it doesn't matter if I study two years, five years, I have 
30 degrees. If I don't believe in myself, I will not be able to do that process. I will not be able to succeed in that way. In many regions, you try to bring resources to the people and educate and give them computers and stuff. But if you don't change the mental process of means that they are able to be successful, it's not going to work. It's not just having the physical things or having the knowledge. You need to be able to trust on yourself. And that goes along with, I forgot the name of this. And uh, Boston Syndrome. Boston Syndrome. Thank you. <laughs> We're always in fear that, oh my gosh, I'm not good enough. We're going to find out what's going to happen to me. You need to start believing that you are good enough. And it's hard. It's easier to say that, do it. Yeah, it's true. Why do you think that is? Is it something from colonialism? Is it social media looking at everybody else's lives? What do you think the reason is? Oh, I think that is a lot of that. There's a big cultural part. Being from another culture, they tell you, like, they make you feel that you have less value than other societies, like European ones or the North American ones. Oh my gosh, I'm going to be good enough to be seated in the class with these people that come from big universities that they know to speak English. And when you come here, you start realizing that you have all the skill, that you have the power to be seated on the chair. So that is a part of the process of figuring out that you can do that. But it's also a process of breaking the cultural baggage that you bring. In social media, you just see snaps of time. You just see the happy face, but you didn't see what is behind that. You didn't see that this person is scratching their tummy and trying to smile to achieve the perfect picture. When you see it, it's like, oh, I want that card. I want that smile. I want that shiny face. But you don't want the process. You don't want the five hours that this person was trying to put makeup. You didn't want that five years that this person was working to buy that car. So it creates false expectations for your life without telling you the process to get that thing. Yeah, that's a good point. There's a movie I saw recently on Netflix called The Minimalist. And they said because of things like social media and even TV shows, Having a 100K or above lifestyle is being considered normal. But most people don't make that much in a year. And a lot of the people who have all this fancy stuff, not all of them, but many of them are in serious debt. So you don't want to copy that type of lifestyle. You can go to Instagram and you see the happy families with a beautiful house, a dog, a smiling. But when you're seeing those photos, it's like, oh, what amazing life. You don't see the mom running behind the kids trying to make the seat for the photo. <laughs> you don't see the dog, the daddy trying to put the dog there. And you don't see like all the things that happen in that house to make that mom and her. So it creates a false expectation to, oh, I want them to smile all day on my face. But you don't see the effort behind that. Yeah, and it's not all smiles and happiness 24-7. Speaking of which... <laughs> <laughs> Today, you're running a little bit behind things because you and Edgar, on top of being a scientist, are parents. So how do you both manage your careers and parenting? Oh, it's fun. We have 
I don't know. Let me see if you can see him. We have that little bit of time that is our <laughs> only received dog. He's four years old. And we have a daughter, Tiana. She's three years old. On top of that, we try to be a happy couple so we need to have time for both of us. But also we want to be successful in our careers and that we need time to work. And also we need to make time to contribute back to our society. And it's hard. It requires a lot of like teamwork to make it happen. When we got pregnant with Hannah, I really understand the meaning of a nice saying that they have here. And it's, it takes a village. You don't understand that. It's something that you share, but it's now when you have all these things happening at the same time. But you realize that you cannot do it by yourself. That you need to have a partner, a support network to make that happen. I don't know if this is cultural or not. Sometimes they make you believe that it's bad to ask for help. So many women, we are trying to battle everything by ourselves and show that we can do it. That's not right. The life was not made in that way. You need support from your friends. You need support from your family, even in they are far away. You need support from the armor. So it's not back to us for help. For us, have been a process of understanding how to ask for help, how to communicate to each other so we can balance both interests, like all the things that my husband is doing and all the things that I want to do too. So we can make it happen for both of us. And we have the blessing that we have been best friends yeah, it's amazing that we were able to marry, that I was able to marry my best friend because it helped us with this communication process. So I'm not afraid to tell like, oh, you know what? I need to rest today. Or you know what? I want to do this amazing project. How can you help me? Or I can tell like, I need your help on this and that and be more specific about what I want and the other way. You need something I can help. But if you don't vocalize those needs, it's really hard for the other person just to guess. In our case, a lot of praying, we are Christians, so it's keeping in mind always our faith and our belief and making sure that you are keeping your family connection. Because at the end, the most important thing that we have for us is our family. We have been getting better on the process of prioritizing our family on top of the thing that the world tells us that we should achieve. Now, with Gracie Hannah, since both of you are Colombian, but you live in the United States, do you speak to her in English or Spanish? We speak to her in Spanish. She's a baker, so they speak in English there. So it's really fun, the process of, like, she completely understand Spanish and English. That it's all times inspired to be more pushy. Oh, I like that blue card. Hannah, it's a soul. Say a soul. <laughs> so she doesn't lose that skill that she has acquired as a young A. Yeah, it's important. The dog felt discouraged if at some point she loses it a little bit. Because that happened to me when I started going to Redinger school. Around like six or seven, then I started to forget my Spanish. But then around 12 or 15, it turned out. That's good to know. <laughs> so they'll be like, oh my goodness, what happened? What did I do wrong? It's just a phase. 
No, and it completely makes sense. It's the language that your friends are using to communicate with you, the language that you're using in your classroom. So it's completely understandable, but kids that grow up with a second language at home would prefer the one that they can use with friends. Yeah, that's true. And when you're a kid, you spend eight hours in school, maybe four hours at home. So in the end, I guess it makes sense. <laughs> yeah, so I think that for us, it could be a process of like, just helping her to keep that skill alive without being, I don't know, be hard on her if she doesn't speak Spanish. I think that goes beyond language. Both by culture, like for example, a plum would like to make a Colombian or Latin food so she can have a taste of our culture. From our perspective, part of our task is giving her all the options, make sure that she has all the opportunities so she can choose what she wants and encourage her to make good choices. Yeah, that's all you can do, just do the best you can. I'm sure she'll be fine. <laughs> Now, with you guys at Fulsa's Immigrants, how long have you been living in the U.S.? Are you still in North Carolina? Yeah, we're still in North Carolina. We have been here for five years now. Wow, fast. Not <laughs> really fast on social media, but they can be like, oh, this happened five years ago, some years ago, a couple of days ago. We got a photo of coming here to the United States five years ago. I have no idea. All the things that were going to happen here. When we came here, we came to study, but we didn't imagine that we were going to have Canada or being able to learn that much and progress that much here. So we were really blessed to have uh, these five years of personal, professional growth and family growth too. <laughs> yeah, that's a nice memory. <laughs> Was there anything looking back that you're like, oh my goodness, I can't believe that stressed me out so much that now you're okay with? Oh, I think that ever. <laughs> I'm the type of person that over worried and over stressed for everything, which is really funny when they put some perspective on that. And that was a really cool exercise that I learned all time ago. When you have a problem, you think that it's terrible, the end of the world. Stop for a second and then think, how will it look like in two years? How will it look like in five years? How will it look like in three years? Is it still going to matter? And based on that, decide how they were going to act. As like a first-time mom, I always stress forever. She needs to eat all time. She needs to brush her. She needs to have a class. <laughs> and this friend of life, like, make you things happen so fast that you're always running to make everything happen. But if she didn't ever have the apple this morning, that's okay. Maybe Hannah will happen later today or tomorrow. Not, not the end of the world. Very nice and positive. Both have that vibe. <laughs> <laughs> and both of you speak English exceptionally well, so I want to know what's the secret. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, that's that's good to hear. It's encouraging to hear. I really love languages. So I speak English. I learned to speak Italian. I learned a little bit of French and Portuguese. 
I really enjoyed that part. But with English, of course, there was a big component of being functional. So if you want to study here, if you want to get work here, you will need to work in your English and make sure that your level is enough to the things that you want to do. But of course, it requires a little discipline and losing your fear of speaking. I think that's something that happened to us. You're always afraid to speak and that someone tells you like, oh, that doesn't sound good. You will speak bad English. You need to have that process of trying to speak to make sure that you are able to communicate. Because if you are just at your house with your computer and your notebook trying to learn the language, it's not going to work. You need to be open to that, to make mistakes, and to be humble and let people to improve your language all the time. Now, you mentioned those two points of loving it and being functional. So what are some functions that are very important to get right if you want study in an English-speaking country or to work with an English-speaking company? Your writing skills should be on top. And I think that sometimes the writing part is easier than the speaking part. But for example, if you are coming here to study, you are going to need to write reports to be able to respond to an exam in English. So your writing skills should be on point so the other person can understand emails. But at the same time, uh, right now with the remote work, you need to be able to communicate and speak and the person on the other side of the camera understands you. I think that it's easier when you're in person. And here there's something that I have faced a lot. When I was learning English, they told me that you need to lose your accent so you can sound like the other people. At least one of the things that is necessary to communicate. Yeah, I would agree with you. Even the statistics show that only one in four English speakers is a native speaker. Everybody has an accent. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry because you always judge accents from what you know, from your maternal language. It's really funny because that happens in Colombia. I'm from the middle of the country, Bogota. And in Bogota, I was saying like, oh, I'm from Bogota. I have no accent. I speak perfectly Spanish. I have no accent. Of course, when you travel to another part of the country, it's all like a tackle because they're judging you from what they learn from the way that I speak. So here, you don't need to worry about speaking a perfect language without accent. You need to be worried about proving your skills to communicate effectively, but without also what you actually are. Definitely. There's another point that I was actually reading about today that just blew my mind where we, we talk about learning the language and culture, but a big difference between North American, most European cultures and Latino culture is the context. So because the U.S. and Canada, U.K. are very diverse, they have people from all over the place, they're what's called a low-context culture. So they'd have to be very specific, explicit. They want everything written down. They're like, are you sure? They verify like three times. And you're like, okay, I get it already. <laughs> Latino culture, 
many Asian cultures, many African cultures, they're high context cultures. So they have some diversity, but not a lot. So they have a lot of inside jokes. If they say they're going to do something in the meeting, it's like a handshake agreement. And then that's the end. It's totally different. So have you had anything that came up in your experience where maybe that caused a misunderstanding? I think that more than misunderstanding is something that we need to learn in order to adapt to the new culture. So one of the funniest things is the way you write emails. And you grow in Latin culture. You are always eager to tell the story. Hi, Gabby, how are you? How is your family? Let me tell this story. This happened with my computer and I was showing this and that. It's, and you end up with an email of three paragraphs. And you're telling a perfect story. You're being nice to the old person. Even in the United States. Hi, Gabby, my computer is broken. Can you fix it? Stand. I can't send an email. I'm being so mean with the other person. That's what feels like. Just the point. And if you send that three paragraphs, you're not going to read three lines. Hi, how are you? This is what's happening. This is what I need. Thank you. But it takes a lot of work. Yeah, definitely. Writing is a skill. Like you said, speaking, helping someone improve their listening skills. Like I know with many of these high tech cultures you have to read between the lines understand the meaning behind the meaning so Ooh. how can you work with an american culture where they mean exactly what they say maybe it's that's rough how can you adapt your your ears to deal with it so i think that the, more than adapt your ears is put this on perspective and don't take everything personal because when these kind of things happen, it's, oh my God, are they being rude with me? What is happening? It's their culture. So you need to put things in perspective and try to understand how the other person can decay and try to improve that connection at some point. So if it's really bothering you and if it's really creating issues, it's something that you need to discuss with the other person. But if you see that it's happening with not just one person, but with everyone else, Maybe it's the way that culture works and you need to start adapting and understanding. But also it's a part of losing the fear of asking questions. Sometimes if you see something that you don't clearly understand, sometimes we need to lose that fear and ask, okay, what do you mean by that? Or please rephrase, kind of like, please explain what are you expecting from me? So you can have a big picture. Something that happened. To us as non-native speakers sometimes is that if you don't understand, just smile and say yes. Oh yeah, I understand. That felt right. If you keep doing that, you're going to miss a lot of opportunities and make a lot of mistakes that shouldn't have happened at the beginning. If you just say it, please say that again or explain that to me because I'm not fully understanding. Works for me, not only in the language context, but in the consultant's context. Your work is helping your client. Sometimes your client doesn't know what they need help with. So you need to start talking and having these discussions over like, okay, what is the real issue? In those conversations, you need to stop several times and like, please say that again. Let's 
talk further about this. Sometimes you need to have a better understanding of what is going on before taking a decision. So it's hard having that level of humbleness to be able to ask. It's a harder process, but it's a reward more. How can I ask that question so I can improve my English, so I can improve the, my process of my work, so I can grow at the same time? Then we really have loved talking to you, but if somebody wants to hear more of your insights, how can they reach you? Please take a look at my LinkedIn. Feel free to put really there my email. I'm happy to talk to anyone about any of these topics. Sustainability, family, being a woman in the engineering world, or like being a Latina in the United States. It's been a pleasure, Tennis. And now we know both you and Edgar a little bit better. Hopefully we can talk to you both again soon. Still want more? First, subscribe or follow the Clever Hybrids podcast wherever you're listening to this, and you can binge listen to our 30 plus episodes. If you want help to create a podcast or content for your business, check out our website, cleverhybrids.com. And as always, welcome to the Clever Hybrids tribe. This is Gabby V signing off. See you next time.